together, and uh, we will be uh, looking at five responses to the birth of Christ in our adult class, and so I'll step down and uh, start that lesson here momentarily. All right, Luke chapter number two, Luke chapter number two. So I have uh, decided to spend uh, this few weeks here in the month of December, since we don't have a Sunday school class hour for Christmas Day and New Year's Day. It'll just be uh, a short uh, three-week uh, series. So we'll focus on uh, Christmas themes over these three Sundays. And today we'll look at five responses, five responses to the birth of Christ. Five responses to the birth of Christ. And I need to click this on here. So Luke chapter number 2, Luke chapter number 2 is where we see this first response. And I hope that these uh, will be practical for us and uh, even helpful as we uh, meet uh, people over the Christmas season, as we engage in different events, maybe have family, and then praying for the Lord to give us opportunities with the gospel uh, throughout this Christmas season. We'll find that these responses... They may not, this may not be an exhaustive list of responses, but we'll find that many people respond in these ways to Christ, to not just his birth, but also his death, burial, and resurrection. So we see, first of all, we see the response of busyness or being too crowded for Christ. Too crowded. Luke chapter 2. In verse number 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, we have probably heard through the years, I know I have, that this innkeeper was this mean old villain of a guy, right? I mean, he sometimes is portrayed as this, just this mean old guy, sometimes in the different TV shows or the cartoon renditions of the Christmas story. Sometimes the innkeeper is made out to be this scraggly old guy behind the counter who is rude and, get out of here, we don't have any room for you, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes he's not portrayed that way. And I really don't want to focus on this, this guy. I don't want to uh, take this, this guy and make him out to be some villain. I, I'm not sure he even knew what he was dealing with, what he was experiencing that night. He, here he is, and we've been in hotels and motels. Um, we've been in places, everything from the, the good, the bad, to the ugly. And uh, y- you know what I'm talking about. I remember being on a mission trip out to Arizona. We were in high school, and we were driving across country to an Indian reservation in Arizona, and we were going to do some vacation Bible schools and some evangelism at this uh, I forget the, the, the Indian tribe, but it was Regeneration Reservation down in southern Arizona. And here we are, and it's a 15-passenger van, and we're driving across the United States. And we get to Oklahoma. And this is back in the day before the Internet, of course. Um, I know some of the young people, they, they don't know what that means. No Internet? No Wi-Fi? How did we live? Um, you know, we, we functioned, we, we survived. But anyway, so here we are. There's no reservation other than a phone call ahead, but you had to be there by a certain time. 
So we're driving across country, we get delayed, traffic, whatever, <clears throat> and we miss our reservation deadline at this hotel in, I forget if it was Tulsa or if it was Oklahoma City. I can't remember which, which city. So we pull into the hotel, our sponsors go in, they say, sorry, your reservation expired, we gave your, room, your rooms to somebody else. So now what are we going to do? Here's, I, I felt bad for our sponsors. Being on the other side, I, I, I realized just how traumatic <laughs> that must have been <laughs> for our sponsors now with a bunch of uh, teenagers in no, no place <laughs> for us to stay. What are you going to tell mom and dad, right? Um, you know, back in that day, thankfully, there were no cell phones, so they couldn't say, our sponsors blew it. We, you know, where are we going to stay? And then mom and dad get all, all scared. So here we are, Oklahoma City, Tulsa, I can't remember, and we pull out of the hotel parking lot, and our driver did not realize he pulled out into a parade. So we pull in, here's, the, here's this 15-passenger church van, Eagledale Baptist Church on the side, and it was brown and tan, okay? Good old 70s, you know, uh, colors. And we're driving down the city streets, and there's all these people waving, and we just start waving at them. <laughs> we're like, we don't know what we're doing, you know. So we, we just go through the parade route as far as we can, and then our driver finally finds a place where he can get off. And I, I can only imagine, again, being now on the other side and trying to think of what to do with a bunch of teenagers at whatever time it was, 10 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, and it's the middle of summer, so there's still some twilight, but we're back now on the highway trying to find the next exit to find a hotel that has some rooms. So we finally get down the road a little ways, and we find an exit, and, we go, and the sponsors go in, and they ask if there's some rooms available, and they said yes. So, of course, they took them just like that, and we went into the room, and it was Cockroach City. Walk into the bathroom mold around the bathtub I mean all that just you know you're you're walking in and you're just like Ugh. <laughs> but us as teenage boys we're we're just going to make the best of it right we're just we're just going to survive we we uh, took our showers we went to bed you know we we covered up in the in the covers as tightly as we could so no bugs would get in in between us and the sheets you know but it was the nastiest hotel I think I've ever stayed in, in, in the United States. I mean, I've stayed in worse in, in Africa, but uh, this was the worst I've ever stayed in, in the United States. And I mean, it was, again, it was just, if there was such a thing as no star, this was a no star hotel. And, you know, the, the inns in Bible times would have been even below that. That was atrocious. In the United States, in the early 90s, late 80s, that was a bad hotel. But that was still probably better accommodations than what was the typical inn in Bible times. This is not a, 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 good, a great picture, but again, that's a rough estimate of what an inn would have been like in Bible times. It was... A place, basically, with a room. I don't know what all the amenities would have been. Of course, there was no indoor plumbing. There wouldn't have been the, uh, the uh, complimentary soaps and shampoos. 
Uh, I don't know what they would have had as far as towels, anything like that as far as cleaning up. I remember staying at a hotel in a little town up country in uh, western, Ken- western Kenya. And I, the missionary and I stayed at this little hotel, if you want to call it that. And it was a, a mattress on the floor that was maybe about that thick. And there was a bucket of water and a hole in the ground. The hole in the ground was the you-know-what, the toilet. And the bucket of water was the shower, bath, whatever you want to call it. No windows. I mean, there was an opening, but there was no glass. So I got up the next morning after a fitful night's sleep and cleaned up as best I could, looking out that window at the cows grazing in the pasture outside the hotel. I can imagine maybe just a little bit of the inn in Bible times being probably a little bit better than that, but not much. This is the time of Caesar Augustus. Uh, That is probably Octavian, from what we understand in, in Roman history. And he has declared this census for the purpose of taxation. So everybody has to come to the city of their birth. And Joseph, uh, being from the city of David, came to Bethlehem, of course. And they were being counted so that, as good old government likes to do, so they could tax. So they could find a reason to take some more money from the people. Which, we know, that's what the government does best. Take our money and take our liberties. That's what government seems to function as. (laughs) It seems like that's their sole purpose is to take our our money and and redistribute it and and take our our liberties. Well, that's what they were there for, of course. And so there were hundreds, if not thousands of people. Bethlehem was not a big capital city, major metropolis. So for Bethlehem to get inundated with that many people, it was... No surprise then that the hotel, the inn, did not have any rooms. Now, again, this is not necessarily about this innkeeper, this man behind the desk, being so cruel and unusual in his punishment of Joseph and Mary and eventually the baby Jesus. I I think that he was just in a quandary. He has all these people in town based on the emperor's census who said, you have to come back to the city, the land of your nativity, And you have to be counted so we can tax you. And they had to obey or the Roman government would have done some sort of oppression. They would have done something to punish the people. So they were following uh, the Caesar's rule, policy. They went to the uh, city of their nativity, Joseph being from Bethlehem. And there's no place for them to stay. And she's great with child. No doubt the innkeeper could see that. So he, at least he said what? You could go to the, 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 the stall where the animals are kept. Because as people traveled, they didn't have their planes and trains and automobiles. They had their donkeys and their horses and their camels. So that's where those animals would stay. Some of those were even maybe animals possibly for the uh, sacrifices. But more, more than likely, a lot of them were there for travel. That's where he said at least they could go. And all this is background to state that the inn is symbolic of or represents 
the response to Christ of being too crowded, being too busy. And this is so the temptation this time of year, isn't it? There's so much indulgence that we have during the Christmas season and really the other 364 days of the year. We can indulge ourselves so much. America, even as we are in high inflation, even as we are in economic uncertainty, the GDP went up because of consumer spending. People want to have a good Christmas in spite of all the hard times. So we're waiting to see what the household debt's going to look like after Christmas. Wait till those numbers come out. It's already bad from what I'm hearing. But people know how to spend, and the GDP went up because primarily due to consumer spending. We are an indulgent people. We fight materialism all the time. We fight covetousness. I don't care if we're the poorest in the society or in the third world country to a first world country with all of the extremes of wealth. We're selfish people by nature and we're covetous. No wonder in the Ten Commandments we're told in the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. And then there's a long list. But we're, we're never satisfied. The eyes of man are never satisfied, are they? We want more. We've got to have the next. I don't remember if it was Rockefeller or one of those famous rich uh, men, tycoons from back in the day. Someone asked him uh, what he wanted, and he said, I just want one dollar more. Just one dollar more. If you follow the news and you've watched anything, seen anything about this FTX scandal, how that guy can continue to walk around and give interviews, it's disgusting. They're calling him the, 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 the mini uh, Madoff, mini Madoff. Billions of dollars gone, just evaporated like that. And he's mostly responsible for it. The man was a greedy, covetous ripoff. Ponzi scheme, pyramid, whatever you want to call it, the, the guy's a, a scoundrel, he's a fraud. And he's giving interviews and he's saying, well, I may, I may have made a mistake here. I, I may have been a little ignorant. I may have been a little arrogant. Yeah, I'd say so. You're taking people's money. And you weren't happy with just a couple million. You had to have billions. And then all the places that he contributed to. Oh, that maybe is part of the reason why he's not in prison yet. But that's another point for another day. But we are an indulgent society. We crowd Jesus out because we have so much stuff. It used to be keeping up with the Joneses. Now it's keeping up with the Kardashians. I understand that's the new 21st century slogan. It used to be the Joneses. And I don't even know who the Joneses are. Um, not talking about Sam and Cassie <laughs> okay, or, or Vernon Chris. Um, but that used to be the saying, right? Growing up, it was keeping up with the Joneses. And I honestly, somebody can help me out. Do you know where the Jones, keeping up with the Joneses came from? Does anybody know where that came from? I don't even know. But nowadays, I hear the 21st century slogan is keeping up with the Kardashians and all the wealth and immorality and, and, and garbage. But we crowd Jesus out. It can happen at Christmas. This is a busy month. There is a lot going on from school to work to all the shopping. And I, I, I love shopping online. That is my kind of shopping. Um, I'll do a, a little bit of store shopping, but... I love uh, online shopping. Uh, to me, that is so much easier than fighting the crowd. 
And, 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 and things are, places are already crowded, aren't they? We went out yesterday and ran a couple errands. Couldn't believe the lines. And we even left one store. We decided we'll just come back some other time because it was like 20 minutes in, in line, just from what I could try to estimate based on the line. And it's only, that was only December 3rd, yesterday. We can get so busy from, and again, it's not that it's bad things. There's family, there's this event, there's this concert, there's, I mean, right? And before long, we're too tired to come to church. We're too tired for our devotions. We're too tired for the Word of God. We're too busy to make time for what is to be the most important, to keep Christ preeminent. And the, the in representative of the crowding out of Jesus from our lives, from everything, from selfish pleasures to busy schedules. And then we see another response to the birth of Christ, and this is Herod, Matthew chapter number 2. Turning back to the book of Matthew and looking at chapter number 2. Now this, this, this Herod guy, this Herod dude, he's, he's quite the scoundrel. And he was under, he, he, was, he was trying to win the graces of Octavius when Antony and Cleopatra were together and they were rivals to Octavius. I'm not the best in my Roman history. But Octavius became Caesar Augustus, and I understand that was the beginning of the Roman Empire and the end of the Roman Republic. So Herod, Herod wanted to be in the good graces of whoever got the power. Ah, that sounds interesting. That sounds like human nature, doesn't it? Sounds like even typical politics around the world and even here in America. People jockeying for position, Right? People are trying to figure out who's going to be the one in power and how I can get into their favor. It happens in churches. It, it, it happens even in good churches. Who can jockey for position to be a part of the pastor's kingdom? And that, that can be dangerous, especially if the pastor thinks he's building a kingdom here on earth. That's big trouble. But if a pastor, even if a pastor isn't building a kingdom here on earth. Shame on him if he is. Shame on me if I ever try to build myself a kingdom. But there's people just naturally who want to be in the good graces of whoever they think is in power. I've seen it. I've been in church all my life. And I've watched people. <laughs> I watched a deacon one time at our former ministry. And Pastor Arrowwood sniffed it out. He saw it early on. And there was a deacon who was, ooh, he was, he was working. And Pastor Arrowwood, he figured it out early and, and tried to help the man. Uh, eventually he left the church, but he, he was jockeying for position. He wanted to be the prime deacon. He wanted to be the alpha male deacon. Uh, there's men who I've met who are no longer in the ministry because they came to a church and the deacons were jockeying for power. And when the pastor uh, tried to lead the church, the deacons stepped in and moved him out, if you know what I mean, and they're no longer in the ministry to this day. I'm thankful for our deacons, uh, good men, godly men, love the Lord, and been a privilege to serve with them. We'll have, we'll have a meeting tonight, and it won't be a knockdown, dragout. drag out. 
duking and fighting over this, that, and the other. Praise God. It's not that way at all. Uh, our deacons' meetings are, are, are wonderful, and uh, they're, they're, they're good times together. But, you know, there are all kinds of power plays going on. Look at, look at the political, I mean, what is it, a week after the midterm election and somebody's already announcing their run for presidency. This isn't about views on that person. This is, I'm not trying to put us in, in any particular political loyalties. I'm just saying within a week, there's already an announcement as to who's going to run for president. Somebody else backed out. Oh, we're not going to go against, you know, president so-and-so. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to back out. But then interesting, you know, rumors are he's going to get himself, he's going to jump, jump back in. Right now he's bowing out, and then there's rumor he's going to get back in later once he sees how things play out over the next six to 12 months. That's human nature, right? Here's Herod. He's known as Herod the Great, and he's jockeying for power. He's not going to be the Caesar. There's no way Herod the Great is going to, but he wants to be one of those governors. He wants to be one of those Roman-appointed governors, and he figures out Anthony and Cleopatra aren't going to make it. Octavian becomes the Caesar Augustus, and Herod swoops in. And he's trying to win the graces of the Jews and trying to make sure he keeps their sympathies, and he's trying to, uh, to, to what, what would be the phrase, to kiss up to Octavian, okay? He's trying to get into his good graces so he can get appointed. And sure enough, he gets appointed to be the governor, the king of Judea. Okay? So, Christ is born. And we read in Matthew 2, in verse number 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. And sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Evil, despicable, infanticide, killing all the males two years and and, and under. From two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And from, from that... Slew all the children, I said males, all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. Just evil. How maniacal can you be? How cold and callous can you be to order the execution, the murder of children? Can you imagine the weeping and the wailing? There's even a prophetic fulfillment. Verse 17 from Jeremiah. Can you imagine the the wailing in the land? I cannot imagine, I've seen all of my children at age of two, I cannot imagine some wicked king saying my child has to die. And then the executioners that get sent out to have to do this. We we, we talk about the influence of Christianity. Our culture makes it sound like Christianity is the cause of all the evil in our society. Now to the point that Christianity is being accused of shooting up a gay bar and causing all of the oppression in the world, and keeping us from progressing. You know, all of us prudes are keeping us from being all that we can be if this 
Sexual expression could just be unleashed. If I could just be everything that I want to be and do anything that I want to do, then we would all, all just have this great happiness, peace, and utopian society, and the government could take all our money and spend it however they want, and we could have solar panels on every house, and we could drive electric cars, and on and on it goes, right? Sorry about that. I'm getting too fired up here. Sorry. <laughs> we could have all that stuff. The government could take care of us, and we could bring in wealth and health and happiness for all time. That's the attitude. And what did Christianity do? Christianity came into the world through Jesus Christ, through changed lives, so that a man like this is seen as a villain, seen as a genocidal maniac, Christianity changed the world so that someone like a Herod the Great is seen for who he really is. As a despicable evil man can see a Hitler and a Stalin and a Pol Pot. It's actually showing the temperature of our society. It's a symptom of our society when some of these evil characters are being held up and history is being revised to make these guys look better than they really are. Herod the Great was unfortunately, sadly, not too unusual from the evil rulers of that day. Christianity changed all that and brought higher expectations to the world. Geneva Convention, things like that. Those are just some of the byproducts of the influence of Christianity. So here's this wicked man. He's a man of fear. He perceived a threat to his throne, to his power. The wise men, they came to Jerusalem, right? They were looking for a king. They understood the Messianic prophecies regarding the kingdom, not, again, fully understanding that the first coming of Christ was to die, and then the second coming was to establish his kingdom, just as the mountain peaks of the first and the second coming in prophetic revelation are sometimes missing the church age, uh, or the prophecies, I should say, the prophets, seeing the two mountain peaks, the mystery of the church being something that they did not fully grasp or understand, yet they were looking to the Messiah as their Savior, saved by faith, by grace alone, by faith alone. But here is the wise men. They come to Jerusalem. They're expecting a king. Where would you expect a king to be born? In Jerusalem. Surely Herod would know. Herod responds in fear. Uh Uh-oh. And isn't this the way it is with these dictators? They're so controlling of their power. They live in fear of any threat. Why is China blocking the, what is it called with iPhones when they share without the internet? What is it called? iShare or something? Drop. Airdrop. Airdrop. Thank you. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a droid guy, and uh, so I don't get into all that. Anyway, so what was, what's the Apple store? They're, gonna, they're, gonna, they're threatening to take Twitter down from the iPhone. The App Store, yeah, the App Store, they're, they're threatening to, to take Twitter out because there's protests against the zero COVID. People are dying in China the oppressive regime that was already communistic and oppressive, and then with the zero COVID, they're just like taking the noose and just wringing it, the necks of the people, and now there's protests like, 
they haven't seen since 1989. And yes, I was alive in 1989, and I remember the news. Uh, my, my kids, they think I walked off the, the ark with Noah, you know. Um, 1989, Tiananmen Square, there haven't been protests. What, what, what's Xi Jinping, what's he, what's he afraid of? Why is, he, why is he so manically afraid? He's insecure in his power. He has to have total control in any, the slightest little criticism of his rule has to be stamped out. That's Herod. The names and the faces of history change, but in a lot of ways, history just repeats itself. And Herod is wicked. He, his pride is exposed. He reacts in evil, murderous ways. Like a Herod. They're living in the fear of Jesus Christ. Afraid to submit, afraid to swallow their pride, afraid to admit that they're sinners in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And then we see the religious leaders. We spent a lot of time in the book of John dealing with them, so I won't spend a lot of time here. But we see the religious leaders in Matthew 2, verses 4 through 6. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. I may have um, put down the wrong, wrong reference there. But the religious leaders, what were, what were they doing? They, they, they are rejecting biblical teaching throughout the time of Christ's ministry here on the earth. Throughout his ministry, they're in constant antagonism. Very few of the religious leaders get saved. We know Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, two examples. There might have been others. We'll even look at that a little bit this morning in the, the morning message in John 12. Very few of the religious leaders overcame their pride, submitted to Jesus Christ, to him being Savior and Lord, and truly, genuinely were born again. They rejected biblical teaching, even though many of them were scholars Yet the Bible, the Old Testament was, if they even believed all the Old Testament, some of them only accepted the first five books, the Pentateuch. Knowing even those prophetic revelations, they misinterpreted Scripture. They read in their own ideas, as many people do even to this day, in their rejection of Jesus Christ. They reinterpret, misinterpret, cherry-pick, ignore verses, don't interpret Scripture by Scripture. Good men, even conservative people, I've mentioned this before. I, I listen to a fair amount of conservative news throughout the week, and there are some good conservative men and women out there who have a lot of morality and even have a lot of respect for the Bible. But they're not born again. I appreciate the fact that they have respect for some of the others who claim to have a form of Christianity, but they are immoral and wicked and liberal in their theology as well as their lifestyle and their politics. Here's the religious leaders, hypocrites, even being in some cases, in many cases, scholars of the Bible, rejected biblical teaching and refused to accept Christ as the Messiah. 
And then we see a fourth response. We see apathy. And unfortunately, this is where I would venture to say the majority of people are at. Apathy. They're maybe in the too crowded. We know people that are in the fear and the pride and rebellion, of course. And there are some that are in more than one category. But apathy. I use the Romans as an example. We could even go back to Luke chapter number 2 and the census, Caesar Augustus. We could even talk about all that was going on as the Romans were clamping down and organizing their rule and putting these governors in place, such as Herod the Great. And they are ignorant. Ignorant of the scriptures and idolatrous in their religion. What did eventually the Romans do? What did they eventually set up as their god? Their little g-god? The emperor, yeah. So in New Testament times, for someone to say Jesus is Lord, we know in the book of Romans, in the Romans road, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, literally Jesus is Lord, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What was going on? There were even there was even pressure on Christians to worship the emperor. From what I understand, in some of the early churches, there was the inscription, I guess, of the emperor that was required uh, to be put sometimes in the early churches. I think some of that has happened in some of these countries where there's dictatorships and churches have had to go underground because the church has been required to put the dictator I mean, that'd be like putting President Biden's on the front of the pulpit or hanging on a plaque in the back in order for us to show allegiance. There, there, was, there was a push for that in the first century with emperor worship. But there was also a syncretism in the Roman Empire. The synchronizing of Greek, Hellenistic culture brought in what? What did the Hellenistic Greek culture bring in? The Greek gods and goddesses. So there was a little bit of that going on. And the Romans had their god. And I got corrected the other day because I said something about Venus. I guess Venus is a Roman god or goddess. And I called her a Greek. Anyway, got my Greek and Roman mythology mixed up. My Roman and Greek gods and goddesses mixed up. But they would synchronize that and then the emperor would come in as the little g god that they owed their ultimate worship to have you have you heard of missionaries going to foreign lands and they time with reaching some of the people because they just want to add jesus to their shelf of gods now think about that here in america are we not in a lot of ways just adding jesus to our shelf of gods I know we're not in a third world country where we actually have little idols, little images. Some of our representations in places that we see are not much different. Okay, some of the things that we idolize, um, we have inscriptions or we have images or pictures of. But there was an idolatry in the, in the Roman Empire that blinded people to the gospel. Think about our, 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 our culture. Think about the gods that we have. From materialism 
to celebrities. I mean, I can't compete with a YouTube star. I can't keep up with an Insta influencer. I'm, I'm a failure as a pastor because I'm not as good as one of these celebrity pastors. I mean, I don't post something on Instagram three or four times a day. I'm not a Insta pastor influencer, you know. <laughs> you know, I and I remember years ago I, I told the the parents at an orientation meeting. I said, "You cannot expect our teachers to be the YouTube stars that your kids idolize. They're, they're, that's not their calling. That's not their job. They're not here. You didn't put your kids in our school for the teachers to be Insta influencers, to be YouTube stars. That's not their job. That's not." The, it would be a disservice. So as a pastor, I, I can't fall into that celebrity pastor idea, but also we have to train our children, our grandchildren, to not make idols of superstars and celebrities and athletes or make idols of cultural icons, whether it be video games to sports to whatever it is. We have God's. And it goes back to number one, too crowded, but it also comes to apathy. We're being hollowed out. I've said it before. We're getting hollowed out in our soul, in our spirit, by all the media and all the entertainment and all the luxuries and all the just pleasures that life can offer, and they become idols that keep us from ever seeing Christ. He is just another page in the book. He's just something that we do on Sunday to salve our conscience. How scary if we get to that place, even in our churches, where Christ is not high and exalted, and we become apathetic. This becomes routine. Our duty is just to go through the motions of Christianity, and as long as we stay away from the top ten sins, then we're okay. And we have a lot of respectable sins that we say are okay, because they're not the top ten. And since I'm not as bad as those top ten, I haven't done those, then my respectable sins are okay. And that's why sometimes we see generations of young people where mom and, or grandma and grandpa were on fire, mom and dad were a little less on fire, and then the kids have nothing to do with God and church and the Bible. Something happened along the way. May that not be the case as we move forward for Christ. But then we come to the last response that we'll look at today. Worship. This is what all of our response should be. This is how we should respond. The wise men, Matthew 2, uh, 9 through 11, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. The wise men. And notice they came, they worshipped, and they came with sacrifices, with gifts. The shepherds. We know this story as well. Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. I do love the fact that God announces 
the birth of his son to lowly shepherds. Herod is ignorant. Herod is idolatrous. Herod is in fear. Herod is not the one who gets the announcement. It's the shepherds in the field. I love that. People who are considered the low class of society. We don't have time for their shepherds. That's, again, a reminder of how God loves to take the off-scouring of the world and show his glory uh, through them, not through the mighty and the noble and the wealthy. It's often through those who are considered by the world to be below or to be low class. God uses the shepherds. He declares, Luke 2, verse 15, It came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. We looked at Simeon on Wednesday night, a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, worshipped Anna, Luke 2, again, verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asser. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So we see Anna worshiping. And then, of course, Joseph and Mary, Matthew 1, and then in Luke 1, verse 38. Luke 1, verse 38. We go back there, and we see, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. We see Mary worshiping, and of course, Joseph as well. This is the response that we all should have. And not just at Christmas, of course, we're focusing on that, but every day of the year. Recognition of Christ, his person, who he is, his position as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, as Savior, as Messiah, and reverence. And that reverence results in action, sacrifice, giving, being that living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable, our expected service. So five responses to the birth of Christ. Hopefully we're not crowding Jesus out. Hopefully we're not living in a state of fear. And that then paralyzes us in our service of the Lord. Hopefully there's not pride and rebellion that's entered into our hearts or apathy. But maybe we have truly hearts of worship. Any comments or questions? Brother Earl, yes.
Wow, I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing our attention to that. And then was after 9/11, wasn't there another big ecumenical worship service, worship service at Yankee Stadium? Of course, it was in Yankee Stadium, but sorry, sorry, I had to throw in that. I had to throw that throw in that dig. Anyway, no, but wasn't there another one at Yankee Stadium after 9/11 where they had a big gathering and bunch of religions and and supposedly we were going to turn back to God. God was teaching us through 9-11 and you know, we, we know where that has, has gone sadly. But any other comments or questions or anything? No? Alright, let's go Lord in prayer and then we'll get ready for the service. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday School Hour, a time, Lord, that we can uh, look into your word and we pray that, Lord, you will Help us to have the right response this Christmas season. To not get so stressed and tired and fatigued by all the busyness and all the activities that we don't truly worship you like we should. Or maybe have the heart of a Simeon and Anna, the shepherds, the wise men, Joseph and Mary, others, Lord, who may not have been named in Scripture, who were truly looking and had hearts that were humble and submissive. May, Lord, we worship you this Christmas season, keep you high and lifted up and exalted on high. And we pray you'll bless now the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here for the Sunday School Hour. We'll start the service in about 15 to 20 minutes.